everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CXCast. Sam Stern joined here with my colleague, Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everyone. And we have on the phone our colleague, Gina Bawalker. Hi, Gina. Hi there. We wanted to talk to you today about accessibility. And this is an area you've been researching and it's maybe, you know, come up a couple of times in different scenarios in our conversations on the podcast. If we go way back, but not one that we've ever addressed head on. And I think that's an oversight. So I think for listeners today, we want to answer the question of why should CX professionals pay more attention to accessibility? Why is it an important consideration in how they design and deliver customer experiences? So Gina, when we use the word accessibility in this context, <laughs> context. What are we talking about? What do we mean? Right. So when we say digital accessibility, what we're talking about here is really the extent to which your digital experiences, and that could be anything from a website to a mobile app to a PDF document, the extent to which those experiences are designed and developed for people to use regardless of variations in their abilities. So the idea here is that whether someone has a disability, such as blindness, whether someone is an aging adult or or whether someone is colorblind, or whether someone has no physical impairments at all, all of those individuals should be able to use your product effectively to accomplish the key tasks that they're trying to complete. That's what we mean by digital accessibility. Great. I assume there are some laws, too. So yes and no. Um, So here's the situation. We have the Americans with Disabilities Act, which I'm sure everyone is familiar with at some level. And part of the Americans with Disabilities Act does require that physical spaces be accessible. The thing with the ADA is it was written before the internet actually existed. So there's not anything in the ADA Title III that actually says websites and mobile apps need to be accessible. That being said, um, we have over the last 10 to 15 years seen an increase in the number of web accessibility lawsuits. And basically what's happening here is that patrons of companies are teaming up with organizations like the um, National Federation for the Blind to sue companies because these individuals cannot do things like, you know, make a purchase on that company's website. And what's happening in those cases is it's really up to the courts to decide if the ADA applies to that product. And what we're finding is that in most cases, the courts are ruling that it does. So that results in companies having to, you know, often pay a hefty settlement in addition to put practices in place internally to remediate their products so that they are accessible. um, And it ends up costing firms a lot of money. So though the law is a little um, murky, Sam, there's definitely precedent for the ADA applying to digital products. And so that's one reason why companies are really starting to pay attention to this. So it sounds like companies care partially because they don't want to get in trouble and have to pay millions or however (laughs) much money for a lawsuit. (laughs) But are there other reasons why they should want to be more proactive and make sure that they do appeal to all audiences? regardless of liability. Absolutely. One of the things that is a really key reason, and it's the reason that we're highlighting in the report that Forrester will be publishing on this topic, is that there's actually a major revenue opportunity here for companies that focus on digital accessibility. The market is sizable. Take, for example, the fact that 15% of the world's population has a disability of some kind. That's over a billion people. Um, And if you look at just the U.S. alone, 
we have 57 million people living with a disability. And I'm hitting on that because this is one of the key groups that's impacted when you don't think about accessibility. Here we're talking about, for example, people who are visually impaired, who Mm -hmm. use technologies like screen readers Mm -hmm. to access websites and mobile apps. If you're not following web content accessibility guidelines and developing your products, your product's probably not accessible to these groups of individuals. Beyond people with disabilities, there's so many other groups that benefit from accessible products. I think we're all aware that the baby boomers are in the process of of aging right now. So our population of people over the age of 65 is substantially larger than it was, you know, in recent years. And the fact is, you know, these people, you know, not only are impacted by inaccessible products, but they have money to spend. The baby boomers control more than two thirds of our country's disposable income. And if we don't focus on accessibility with our products, we're likely to put up barriers to the over 65 um, population who may be experiencing loss of vision and hearing as a result of the aging process. So the numbers themselves are a very compelling reason for CX pros to care about this. You have the opportunity to win new customer segments that are typically neglected, like the ones I've mentioned, as well as better serve your current customers and deliver a better experience to them. So not only is it the right thing to do to make something that is accessible, you're also leaving a lot of money on the table potentially if you don't. Absolutely. Many of us probably know what we're talking about when we say digital accessibility, Mm -hmm. uh, especially, you know, if we're talking about the colorblind population. Sure. But could you just provide an example of what exactly it means to make that digital experience accessible. So I'll give you a couple of examples. One you hit on is um, designers within your organization need to be thinking about things like how they use color. So ensuring that they have sufficient color contrast so that people with visual impairment can effectively consume their content. Another really good example, and this focuses more on developers, is making sure that you have a good structure within your page. So what I mean by that is when we look at a web page, we often will see certain headers on the page that are maybe styled. Maybe they're, you know, in bold text, for example. So we can denote, oh, this is a header. This starts a new section. There's a way to also make that explicit in the code by using header tags, you know, H1s, H2s, etc. And that is an essential thing for developers to do because when a person who's blind is consuming that web page with a screen reader, that screen reader needs to be able to pull out those headers and convey to the user, these are the different headers on the page, um, you know, jump to the one that kind of most pertains, you know, the content that you're looking for. Another one that's really important for content authors to keep in mind is making sure that your link names are very descriptive. The example I always like to give people is when I used to do a lot of user tests with people who were blind, and they would always pull up something called a links list. Um, this is basically a way where the screen reader surfaces a dialogue with every single link on the page and it allows the uh, user to quickly jump to the action they want to take. What you see with most websites though is that when the user pulls up a links list, it's a list of learn more, learn more, learn more or click here, which is completely useless and, and doesn't you know give that user any indication of what the target of those links is. So just thinking about things like that when you're developing your content, those are really critical elements for accessibility. Yeah, that's a great example of the links. Click here on its own is already not descriptive, but then when you see if you were 
right. you know, yeah. you couldn't yeah. see and you, you, all you get is a list of click here. I mean, that is just infuriating. <laughs> the test and learn of what, it, yeah. what you're going to get on that site, therefore. Yeah. Exactly. So, Gina, this is a weekly podcast about customer experience where every week we tell customer experience professionals about all the things they should be doing that they aren't. <laughs> and now here we are adding another big, important thing to their list. So yeah. at the risk of overwhelming them, which I think sometimes we're guilty of doing at Forrester, how would you say they get started in a sort of manageable you know, uh, way on designing better for digital accessibility? There are some basic steps to get going. One of the first things to do is just to get up to speed on what the guidelines are for accessibility. And the good news is there is a globally recognized standard. Um, it's called the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Um, it's published by the W3C. And the great thing about these guidelines are that they're technology agnostic. So whether you are developing a website, a native iOS app, an Android app, a PDF document, an email, the same guidelines apply. It's just the techniques that your developers will use to actually implement the guidelines will vary. So start there. Get up to speed on the guidelines just to you know make sure that you understand accessibility. And then also decide as an organization what level of conformance you know you're, you're trying to achieve. And again, the good news here is there's already a standard for that. Most organizations are trying to proactively conform to the web content accessibility guidelines at, at level 2A. Um, and the guidelines kind of spell out what, what the different levels of conformance mean. So that's really the best place to start. And then I would say if your company's not already thinking about accessibility, the next step from here is making the business case, right? So the report that I'm going to be publishing on this topic gives you a lot of data to help you do just that, to talk about, you know, the lost opportunity if you don't make accessibility part of how you develop products. So building that that business case, um, finding kind of the right platform for your organization for launching this initiative. It may be the revenue opportunity. It may be that it aligns with your mission. It may be that you were sued recently and that's kind of your burning platform for mm -hmm. focusing on accessibility. But but basically pulling that that together um, and, and, you know, obtaining support from the top to focus on this. And that top-down support is really critical. Um, I've actually been in organizations where I, I tried to do this from a very grassroots kind of standpoint, and that will only get you so far because to make digital products accessible, it really it really does take a village. You need your designers, your developers, your testers, your product owners. Everyone has to be bought in and, and part of this process. So, so make that business case and gain the, the support. And then from there, there's two additional things to think about. One is just, you know, crafting your roadmap for how you're going to make your products accessible. And, you know, when I talk to clients about accessibility, I can often kind of just sense how overwhelmed they are, you know, thinking about, oh my gosh, how are we going to go back and fix all the issues with our product? And I actually recommend not to take that approach. Don't try to boil the ocean. Um, do two things. One, bake accessibility into new things that you do going forward. So next time you launch a feature on your website, follow the guidelines so that, you know, your feature is going to be accessible without you having to go back and remediate it later. Then in parallel to that, do an assessment of where you stand with your current product 
products and don't necessarily take on a project where you try to fix every single issue on every page of your site. Focus on the key tasks, the top tasks that you know users are coming to that product to complete and remediate, you know, in those areas. But don't necessarily try to boil the ocean because you're going to sink a lot of money into it if you take that approach. And there may be aspects of your product that aren't, you know, necessarily even aligned with core tasks that users, you know, are coming there to complete. And then last critical step to to start thinking about early is just educating your organization about accessibility. And this involves both kind of broad education, right? So things like going around your company and maybe doing hour-long lunch and learns where you just teach people about what accessibility is. Many people don't even know how people who are blind use the web, right? And you can help them understand that and kind of generate that empathy. And then you can couple this with more targeted training for the groups that are part of your software development process. So your designers, your content authors, your developers, and your testers, and really giving them very specific training on the guidelines. And the good news is there's really great accessibility firms out there that can help you with that training. So those are some of the things to get started. If you don't have an accessibility expert in-house today, right, and there are a lot Mm -hmm. of different people who are involved during the creation of an experience, is this something that you loop in your agency to help with, Mm -hmm. right, or some other Mm -hmm. type of partner who can help to do accessibility Q&A on your experience or, you know, just make sure that you're creating accessible experiences? Yeah, you definitely need a partner unless you happen to have someone in-house who's an expert, Mm -hmm. which I've never talked to a company where that's been the case. (laughs) To be successful, you need really two different people involved when this is getting kicked off. One is you, the person who's going to evangelize this, right, and really draw up the support and get it going. And then the second is a partner, um, because one of the first things that is important to do is to audit your current products so that you know where you stand. You know, do they meet the guidelines or not? And what I would recommend here is not necessarily going to like your design agency of record, because really when it comes to accessibility, there are very uh, well-known, well-recognized firms that this is what they do. They do accessibility compliance. Mm -hmm. And I always actually tell people to be a little wary of companies who say they do accessibility compliance work, but that's not, you know, necessarily their bread and butter. It's more of an add-on service. And so we definitely have, you know, list of potential providers that, that we can share with clients who are considering undertaking an accessibility initiative. There's a handful that have been around forever and who do a really, really good job of helping organizations think through this. Gina, there's one other element in your report that I want to make sure we call attention to, which is the curb cut effect. Because to me, this is one of the most persuasive parts of the argument for any super (laughs) callous people in an organization who might not care about the billion plus disability market, but care about the other customers. So the idea behind the curb cut effect is that when you put accessibility accommodations in place, it really helps everyone. And the origin of the term actually came from when, you know, the requirement was put in place that you had to put these curb cuts right into the sidewalk. Um, That was originally done to help disabled war vets be able to, you know, in wheelchairs, be able to wheel from from the street up onto the sidewalk. Um, And so that's why those were put in place. But many people benefited from that. Mm -hmm. So a caregiver pushing a stroller or a kid on a bicycle or someone on a skateboard, all of us benefit from curb cuts. And there's modern day examples of this too. So one of my favorite ones is with a brand many of us love, Netflix. Netflix recently started adding audio description to their streaming content. And the reason they did this is because they had to. Um, They had a a lawsuit uh, 
um, from a uh, customer who was blind that said, you know, I can't access your programming. And so they started adding audio description to their programs. For those who don't know what that is, it's basically a service that describes exactly what is happening on the screen. So it makes television programming consumable by someone who cannot actually, you know, see the content. And what Netflix found after they started doing that was that actually other customers of theirs were using audio description and they were using it to listen to Netflix while driving in their car, very much like you would listen to an audio book. And I don't think they anticipated that, but that's a perfect example of the curb cut effect. So again, what I would tell organizations is you will find that if you start following the accessibility guidelines um, and putting these accommodations in place, that you will be creating a better user experience um, for all of your customers. And that reason alone, you know, could be a reason to make sure that, that you have a plan for digital accessibility. Yeah, that's great. That's I, One of the things I talk about sometimes when we do journey mapping workshops is a population like customers with disabilities can be a really nice edge case to push your thinking if it's not your most common because mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, design decisions you would make to accommodate them, as you just said, Gina, very well, would be really valuable to other users as well. So they'll push that's your thinking great. and allow you to come up with creative solutions to make affordances for them that actually work out as nice design solutions for others. Yeah. users as well. It's almost like a brainstorming yeah. technique totally. to think within constraints. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I love that. And, you know, another very related to that is it's just a fact that any of us at some point in our lifetimes um, could have a temporary disability, yeah. right? You have an accident and all of a sudden you can't use your dominant hand. You may find that you can't operate a mouse, you know, in order to, to use the computer and that you can only, you know, operate the keyboard. Well, part of what the accessibility guidelines focus on is, you know, ensuring that someone can use your product effectively without having to use a mouse. And so any of us could benefit from these at some point in our lives. Great. Well, Gina, thank you for joining us again on CXCast. We appreciate having you. And listeners, we will post a link to Gina's report and we'll talk to you all on next week's CXCast. Listeners, if you have feedback or questions about this week's episode, please email us at cxcast, one word, at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perceptions is your customer experience reality.